ಮಹೋರಾಧಿಕಮಧಾವಶಂ ಅಜೀಮುಕ್ತಕುಲೈರ್ಪಶ್ಯಾಮನಂಪರಿತಶ್ರಂ ಅಜಾನುಲಂಬಿತಾಬುಜೋಕಾಬದಾಥೋಕೀರ್ತನೈಕೀತರೋಕಮಲಾಯಕ್ಷು ೃಷ್ಣಕರುಣಸಿಂಧೋದಿನಬಂಧೋಜಗತ್ಪತೆಗೋಪೇಶಾಗೋಪೀಕಂತರಾಧಕಂತನಮಸ್ತೃತೆ
Sorry? But uh, they are also well-wishers, so even if they're... <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I trust that. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we are all beginners in the sense that the subject of our study is an ending. So how much we can put a finger and say, I'm senior here, no? like we say, Shula Siddhar Maharaj will say, the more you get closer to the infinite, the more you realize there is no limit to progress. So <laughs> we are with advanced. We are students forever, basically. That will be the Abhiman in eternity. No? Like, like Jesus will say, child mentality, no? open to whoever unfolding. Chamatkar. At least that's my. Hopefully, I, I pray to be that my my spirit in coming here or, or going anywhere because it's easy to think that I'm traveling the world and schooling whomever crosses my path. <laughs> and actually, I'm hopefully I'm trying here to learn and to be an instrument, to be a student, to be a disciple, and all, all those designations which will accompany ourselves for eternity. So today we are celebrating the appearance of one of those paradigmatic figures in eternity, Lalita Devi. Although there is some, yeah. Can you hear him? Yes. It's good. Yes, the translator especially. There is place here, if someone, Yoga Maya. Come. <laughs> so uh, it's okay the volume yeah. okay. so <clears throat> so yesterday we were talking with briefly Krishna Chandra Prabhu about some interesting point which is also a difference some difference of opinion in terms on a technical level if you will regarding on which day the appearance of Lalita Devi is celebrated because According to Rupa Goswami's Radha Krishna Ganodesh Deepika, there's mentioned that she's born 27 days before Shirada. No? But it's, we are not celebrating Radhastami in 27 days, but tomorrow. <laughs> so there has been some differences of opinion. Uh, and to be honest, personally, I don't care, and Krishna Chandra doesn't care either. <laughs> he already confirmed that to me. The important thing is that we can get together and talk about uh, and if we have two two different dates we have two opportunities to talk about her and only hopefully only not two but at least two <laughs> there's never enough no? you know this uh mohan he mm. told me once we when we discussed why is this mm. it's very strange we celebrated one day before radashtami but it's actually 27 days older, according to the Goswamis. And Fakir Mohan said, in Brahma Sanghita, it said, this is the place where no moment ever is passing. It's Aprakat mm -hmm. mm. So it shows, you know, it doesn't have to fit mm. the time and space here. Mm. So, and I like that answer. It's mm. quite interesting. Mm. It's not. The time there has to fit in any way here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and also that brought to mind, for example, another similar, and I don't want to digress from the topic too much, but the celebration of the appearance day of Radha Kund. Mm -hmm. 
which sometimes is celebrating during Kartik, but a few recent years ago, some commentary on Jiva Goswami's to the Bhagavatam, he mentions that actually the appearance of Radha Kun is in May. And Kartik is generally not in May, I mean, never in May. Uh, and generally, it, it seems that actually the, the celebration on Kartik was when Mahaprabhu rediscovered Radha Kunda. So we were talking with, with Radha Madhava about that, and we were like more on the idea of, okay, but some of our Acharyas then celebrated on the wrong day, technically speaking, and we were like, and it's okay, no problem. You know, in the sense of, it's not that if you are a pure devotee, you cannot commit any mistake in any way whatsoever. You know? For us, it was more in that day inside, like, because sometimes we, we conceive, okay, if someone is a pure devotee, cannot make a mistake in any single form and any level. But there are mistakes that can be done that are not compromising the, the inner standing of the great personalities. No? Like the famous example when Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta was like dictating something in English and he mispronounced the word. And all the devotees were, oh, from now on we have to change the English dictionary. So it fits the new revelation coming from Guru Maharaj, which says that this word in English is actually to be pronounced in this way. <laughs> and everyone was like praising, it's such a Gurunista you have. No? <laughs> and Srila Bhaktivedanta Goswami was present and, and he didn't appreciate that. He said, no, no, that's not, that's not very deep. That's more like fanatical. <laughs> Actually, we have to acknowledge the mistake, understand that our Gurudev's standing is not compromised by that mistake, and correct the mistake in his service. No? Increase our service disposition in that way. So externally, it may seem you are pointing a mistake in your Guru, but actually you are increasing your service disposition. In the other case, it seems you are glorifying your Guru, but it's more a form of over-glorification, we could say. In one sense, you can never glorify Sri Guru enough, but in another way, you can over-glorify. <laughs> so, so a progressive Vaishnava will be like gradually careful of doing it in a proper way. So anyhow, that in connection to the difference of dates and celebration and how we are, at least personally, how I choose not to make much more, much of an issue out of that. <clears throat> So, so in connection to today, okay. yeah, that's okay. You let me know if I'm talking too fast. Yes. I'm talking too fast. No, <laughs> oh, okay, okay. No, you let me know because I used to talk a little past probably. <coughs> so, <clears throat> so yesterday we were talking a few words on the concept of radical personalism, and also Jonathan ask a question in connection to the souls in this world and the souls in the other world, so to say. Now we spoke a little bit about a hierarchy, so to say, in souls in terms of eternally liberated and conditioned without beginning. So, so we are today talking about one of those personalities, which is, before I continue talking, sorry, but is there anyone like, for the first time in their life hearing about Lalita Saki and stuff like that. <laughs> Thank you so much for clarifying that. Yes, yes. 
I'm not hearing for the first time, but I'm a beginner as we were talking before. So just <laughs> so now nobody of you feels any shame like I'm the first time, I don't understand anything. We are all on the verge of astonishment. So okay, so I'll try also to present the topic in a way that hopefully is relatable to everyone, although this is a quite deep topic, so I'll try to as I used to say, as we were talking in France, like sometimes in trying to adapt the presentation, it sometimes it may be too high for some and too low for others, depending. So bear with me and have patience, please. <laughs> Show me your kindness. <laughs> so let's begin with the concept of Lila then. Hmm? I remember Arjuna talked about Lila in that book, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Somehow it came now, and I appreciate your your unfolding of that word because again, lila, all these Sanskrit terms have so much to say, and it's it's so tempting to just translate them and just play pastime, and but so much is to be said in that connection. So yeah, sometimes I like to translate lilas like um, celebratory movement. When you are moving out of celebration, not out of need. Because many times we move in the world because of emptiness. We want to fill that void, so we move and do so many things. But many times, or maybe not many times, hopefully many times, we can also move out of fullness. Not because of emptiness, but because we are so full that we cannot contain staying sitting like we, we are now. We are so full that you need just to stand up and sing and dance and celebrate and shout and roll on the ground and embrace everyone and jump from the terrace. And anyhow, you are brimming, you are overflowing. No? So, so for us, the notion of lila means that means the divine in his own, in his very existence, he's full, he's overflowing in fullness. Om Purnamada, Purnamidam, and so on. This famous Upanishad decline says, the absolute is complete, is full. And he, and he becomes more and more complete, interestingly. Like when Rupa Goswami says, Krishna in Dwarka is complete, Krishna in Mathura is more complete, Krishna in Brindavan is most complete. <laughs> and you're like, how that can happen? If you are complete, you are complete. How can you be more complete and most complete? <laughs> so on the basis you are complete, and on top of on that foundation of completeness, you continue to grow and to expand. As we were talking two days ago with Krishna Chand, the nature of love is to give full satisfaction, but to also create a constant thirst for more. Because love has no limits. You can always love more. You can always give yourself, even if you are reach the plane of divine love and you are officially labeled pure devotee so to say <laughs> you are on the other side liberated redeemed saved actually on that other side the thing starts to unfold and expand more than anywhere else because sometimes you have this wrong idea okay i'm on this side so to say of the fence <laughs> and i have to grow and progress and advance and do so. but when i reach the other side I get my eternal cloud and eternal rest. 
but we will say, no, no, actually on the other side is when the real thing begins to unfold. <laughs> no? where, where love is fully present, that creates its own dynamic, that creates its own evol evolution and unfolding. So again, of course, the divine is not an exception to that rule. He's the one leading the rule, so to say. <laughs> so that's what we call lila, in contrast with karma. Karma could be more like a forced work, forced labor. El labor, labor, you pronounce? Like you are carried to do some things out of certain influences that you are not fully in control. Sattva, rajas, tamas, gunas. But, but Lila is celebratory movement again. There's so much fullness that you cannot contain but celebrate. No, that's how we are seeing Volgadadar. They are celebrating existence. Kirtan could be another nice word to say to describe a celebration. Kirtan is a celebration of, of the nature of reality ultimately. So in that Lila, in this divine play, so to say, Lila sometimes translated as play or non-dual play, if you will, not ordinary play, but play. There are certain rules, of course, no? because you need rules for playing. It's, in one sense, there is spontaneity, there is improvisation, and also there are rules. Because it's like if I told you, okay, let's play chess, and you can do so many moves. You can do unlimited moves almost. But also those of them have, those moves have to be done in certain perimeter. It's not that I can just move the pieces whatever I want, no? like here, for one there. I mean, that's not playing chess. There's no excitement in the game if I just do whatever I like. <laughs> but in certain perimeter, I have almost unlimited opportunities. But there are certain rules to follow, so there is excitement. So the lila is the same. There is it's a play, but it has certain rules, certain perimeters. Sometimes we call it rasa tattva. Certain sensibilities on how to participate in the play. Not just like entering and imposing our own will and everything has to adapt to. I'm creating my own game at every second, so everyone else has to adapt to it. No. So... So some of these rules, of course, have to do with God is fully absorbed in celebrating his own fullness. Or if we want, we can talk about God in plural, their own fullness. No? We have that language. For every time I use the masculine, I don't want to sound too limiting. Or I can use the feminine. feminine. We can just limit ourselves, limit ourselves to Sridhada. <laughs> so the absolute is... One, but it's not also also more than one. Community. <laughs> God is community. Mystic Christianity also have their own idea of God as mystical community in the form of Trinity, right? So, so part of this dynamic of the Lila is that God is so engrossed, the divine couple, the divine retinue, <laughs> they are so engrossed in relishing their own fullness, celebrating existence in love that as we say love creates its own needs <clears throat> love fulfills every other need but creates new needs out of its own so to say <laughs> and those needs will be 
really needy, really intense. I mean, we think sometimes we have needs. <laughs> but wait till you develop divine love. Then you will know the real face of being in necessity. I mean, I'm not saying you don't have needs. I'm saying just that the more you advance in love, the greater, the more intense everything becomes. As we were talking the other day with Krishna Chandra about suffering, and I know some of you were like, oops. <laughs> but we were saying that we suffer now, but when we love, we will suffer also from another place. It will be a sweet suffering. There is the possibility of sweetness in suffering. Although for us, it's paradoxical for our mind. Because the only suffering we have tasted is quite bitter. <laughs> but we are receiving the news that in eternity, there is a form of suffering, which is sweet, which expands the heart. And we can even have an experience of that now. No? An experience of that now will be compassion. The very word compassion means to suffer with, as you know. So if you are actually having an experience of compassion towards someone, you are empathizing, entering into their shoes, entering into their suffering. You are suffering along with them, but that's a suffering which is not like miser, miserable, but it's expanding the heart. You are suffering, but you are loving at the same time. So we can experience that here. So try to take that and expand that 108 times and more <laughs> into eternity. The same principle. You are suffering and you are loving. You follow my point? It's like if you are experiencing deep compassion for someone and you are with them and crying, and I come and tell you, don't suffer. Stop suffering. Be happy. Come with me. I'll take you to a party or something. And you'll say, no, no. I'm okay. No. So there is the possibility of sweetness and suffering. You know, like, like if a sadhu goes in the classical Indian setting, sometimes this traveling sadhus will come to a village and they will stay there for a week and they will narrate some of our sacred epics, I don't know, Ramayana for a week. You see, Krishna Chandra starts to cry immediately. <laughs> so he will be for a whole week narrating Ramayana and for those who know this story, I mean, better you have some napkins with you or something, you know, because you will be crying a lot. And everyone will be crying. Everyone will be crying. At the end of the week, the sadhu finishes the narration and continues, and everyone starts to cry because they cannot continue crying, basically. <laughs> because the narration is over. And so they were crying, and you may think, why you are you masochists? I mean, you like to cry? No, no. There's there are different set of tears, so to say. <laughs> so there are different categories of crying. Srila Prabhupada will say you you can lament for that which is not worthy of lamentation, and that indirectly implies there is something worthy of lamentation. <laughs> so in the same way, you can cry for things you 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 shouldn't be crying. But that doesn't mean we are canceling whole form of tears altogether. Mm -hmm. So all this to make the point that <laughs> you can be loving and you can be suffering. And technically speaking, 
the more you love, yes, the more you suffer. Mm -hmm. But again, it's a suffering in the context of love. Real love will bring a certain form of suffering. Be careful not to compare that with your experience of suffering outside of the realm of divine love. And I know that it's a quick temptation to go there. And the immediate reaction will be, I don't want that. I don't want that suffering. So if that has to do with love, then I don't want love either. And that's, of course, that will be a problem if you get to that conclusion. <laughs> so for us, it's important to make this point clear, not so much try to look to look for love without suffering because love without suffering is not love <laughs> real love includes a form of suffering but we need to understand which type of suffering so we pursue the real love and the real suffering we want everything in its real form <laughs> if not we will try to escape from the false suffering and pursue the false love well actually we want the real love which includes the real suffering but it's a loving suffering. It's a suffering in the context of love. So it, it's sweet. I know it's difficult for the mind. The mind cannot deal too easily with paradoxes. <laughs> the mind collapses quickly and says, this is contradictory. This is not fitting. So we need to, to train our thinking to go beyond thinking, basically. <laughs> in prayer, in inner communion. So I'm saying this because I was making the point that in Lila, there will be suffering. In Lila, there will be neediness. There will be, God will be in need. <laughs> Krishna, Sri Sirad and Krishna, as I like to say, and that may sound a little too extreme, but that's actual reality. Too extreme, probably. <laughs> They're loving the, the loving interaction between Radha and Krishna. Is so intense that when they are not together, they're basically dying in separation from each other. They will never die, you know, it never ends in catastrophe, but there's they they start to get closer to the verge of death. That's one of the symptoms of separation, mriti. Doesn't mean literally they are dying, but it feels like dying. So again, I'm trying to hopefully give some introduction to all that because I'm getting a point to where I'm telling you, God feels like dying. And I was like, what, what's going on here? So this in the context of Lila, in the context of celebration of their fullness, in the context of the needs that come from love. And one of those needs imply the need to love. And sometimes love has dynamics of union and separation. There is a purpose in that. Separation helps to update, upgrade, refresh the union. Because if there is no separation, technically speaking, we cannot speak about union. If I never stop seeing Krishna Chandra, I will never, I could never say, oh, I met Krishna Chandra. Because we are already there always. No? So separation brings its own dynamics no? and, and takes each one of the parts to internalize their feelings now when you are separated from your beloved all your feelings from that person go inside and start to churn and condense and when you meet the person the internalized 
turning becomes externalized and so on and so forth so this god again the divine is not an exception to the rule and in that dynamics of separation they feel radha and krishna they feel like dying from each other without meeting each other they are like so much have been described in, in the poetry of our saints but my point is there are certain moments where they are reaching the verge of death to a point and in eternity <laughs> part of our service <laughs> will be to save the life of god on a daily basis <laughs> i mean we are in one sense who we are no one may say who am i to save god's life but that's arrangement no? that's that's how lila operates no? we could say that's the generosity of yoga maya if you will more specifically so i'm saying that also for us to gradually realize the degree of responsibility in that realm <laughs> how much we have to be tuned in and identify with what's happening there on a daily basis so we can really show up for the occasion and do the needful because there are needs god is in need and therefore that creates a need in us if the object of our service are in need their need becomes our need because that's what love is about you fully identified you make your beloved's needs your needs and I, hopefully I'm not scaring any of you by saying all this. <laughs> just quick, make a little summarize. Of course, huh? yeah. Summarize and uh, Antika also, no, please. No, no. Yes. Das, das ganz wesentlich ist fürs Verständnis vom Lila, was Maharaj gerade gesagt hat, dass je tiefer Liebe wird, desto größer wird die Bedürftigkeit nach Liebe. Mm -hmm. Und wer hat die tiefste Liebe? Das ist Radha Krishna selber. Und das heißt, sie haben die größte Bedürftigkeit nach Liebe. Und deswegen ist im Bhakta drin eine große Verantwortung, das Bedürfnis, das, was sie brauchen, zu offerieren. Und deswegen ist es etwas ganz Wesentliches für die, für die Seele. Und vorher hat er gesagt, wie... In, in der ganzen Dynamik vom Lila sind alle Emotionen unendlich, was, was wir hier je erfahren können, in unendlich vergrößerter Intensität vorhanden. So, das heißt auch, wir erleben hier kleine Freuden und kleines Leid. Aber im Ursprung ist in der Dynamik und im Austausch von Liebe sind diese beiden Dynamiken in allerhöchsten Ausmaß vorhanden. Eben zusammenkommen und wieder Trennungsschmerz. Aber es ist in Liebe und nie in einer Bedürftigkeit. I like your term, celebration. <lacht> das Lila ist so etwas anderes, ist als Handeln aus einer Not heraus. Und es ist das unendliche Festival, ein, ein Festival, wo Liebe überfließt und dass es dort eine Varietät von Emotionen braucht. Suffering and I think the whole variety is needed there. Just that everyone can catch up. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Important point. 
Something else to add? Noch jemand noch etwas nachtragen? I'm asking you to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember this beautiful verse um, in Chaitanya uh, Bhagavat. Um, Yata Deka Vaishnavera Vyavahara Dukha Nishchejaniha Sei Paramananda Sukha. Mm. When it looks like that the, a devotee in love of God is suffering, but actually because it's in connection to them, we should consider it's the highest happiness. And if one is taking all happiness of all worlds together, it cannot compare with one drop of that kind of suffering. So it's like, we speak of Advaita, mm -hmm. non-dualism, but mm -hmm. actually this is non-dualism. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. We have the duality of happiness and distress, mm -hmm. but in love of God, there's a non-dualism mm -hmm. yeah. because every, everything has its place. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate the point that Krishna Chandra Prabhu made on non-dualism. In my recent book on radical personalism, I did spend one whole chapter to describe how our tradition is actually non-dual because generally we think non-dual is Advaita Vedanta or what's sometimes called radical non-dualism <laughs> but we have our own form of non-dualism Advaita Gyan Tattva says the Bhagavatam and one of those expressions is as you mentioned whether it looks like suffering or it looks like happiness is one so to say <laughs> In there connection. are two two phases of the same celebrations, mm -hmm. two facets, complementary facets of the celebration. Chaitanya Charitamber tells us, Bahi Bhisva Jalahai Bhitari Anandamai Krishna Premir Adbhuta Charit. The astonishing features of divine love is that externally it seems like poison, but internally the highest type of nectar is being relished. But the packaging seems like <laughs> terrible. So it's important that we go beyond the formality of what it seems, what it looks like, and we understand what's actually taking place. <clears throat> so in this connection, we have the personality of Lalita Saki today. She's one of these crucial players in this drama, in this Leela, in this celebration which is so much required for the daily of celebration to reach a new level, and yet a new level at every moment. Because again, it's not only that we will be required there for saving their lives on a daily basis also, but there's so many, so much necessity that so many positions of service, so to say, are required there. So Lalita Saki is one of the most crucial ones, and. Well, I want to share a few words regarding Lalita Saki and a connection with radical personalism. And by this, I mean our tradition is personal, personalistic, and radically personalistic, which means it's important that we relate to each one of these persons as persons. <laughs> so we should ask our, ourselves, like, who is Lalita Saki for me? It's just a a concept, like a theological figure, a concept, or is 
the experience of a real person. Because inadvertently, without realizing, sometimes we may relate even with to the divine, to God himself, as a concept. God is an idea about the clouds, <laughs> far away, distant place, distant time. God, Krishna, Mahaprabhu. How, how we are, is, is God, I mean, I'm not asking you, I'm not inviting for a public confession here. <laughs> but we should ask ourselves on a daily basis as part of our sadhana, where is my relationship with Krishna? I'm, am I relating theoretically to a concept, to an idea I have of God? Or for me, Krishna is the experience of a real person. Because Krishna is the most real person. So the experience of the most real person should be the most real. <laughs> but sometimes without knowing, our relationship with God is limited to a concept, an idea. So we should be attentive. Because we will end up, we will extend that same pattern to everyone else. We celebrate Radhastami, the concept Radha, Lalita, the idea Lalita. And all of them are like static, not ecstatic, but static <laughs> no, concepts. That once a year we bring from the box and we speak about a little bit and then our lives goes on. <laughs> okay, yes. How do we find person? In this, in this regard, the person, yeah, mm -hmm. I think we all have an idea of what a person is. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a lot. There's a lot to say about that, of course. Thank you so much for the question, Arjun. I mean, to begin with, what I was referring here now was like we are relating to an to a living organism, so to say, living personality that. Invite for reciprocation, basically. No? Like person, at least for me, the intention here, person implies relationship. It's not just there's the person, Krishna, there's the person, Lalita, and there's the person, me here. But if there is no, it's not a two-way street of reciprocation, how much the person is there, how much I'm treating. That is like if I relate to you, but I... I don't reciprocate with you or you don't reciprocate with me. How much personal we are being, how much we are treating each other as persons. So so when I was using the word person, at least now I was thinking more in that sense, like like an active reciprocation with, with whatever person is on the other side, instead of just a, like a passive con concept that is there and I like talk about, study, memorize, no, I know what to say. Lalita was born 27 days before Radha. One of her names was Anurad. Her father is... We can have all the technical bio, so to say. And I'm not against that. But the point is, if that information is not fostering transformation on an experience of the person, Lalita, the relationship, watch out for that information. <laughs> can be tricky and we have so much knowledge in our tradition so much detailed knowledge about everything and everyone and all that knowledge is there to encourage relationship you know, to encourage the development of an experience with those people Lalita is a real real people to put it in some way you know, Lalita, Vishaka they are the most real 
they are living from their most real place of personality, of individuality, of existing as a being. So, anyhow, some thoughts? Yeah, because I think in, in Advaita, they usually ah. see this whole concept of person as mm. the problem. Eh? They mm. say, no, it needs to be transpersonal because person implies that identification with something that you are not. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. That leads to the duality in the yeah. world. So we need to go beyond the person mm. and the problems are solved. Okay, so, thanks for the clarification. Yeah, of course, we have that that perspective in Advaita Vedanta, like person is a problem or variety is a problem, former problem. So we have to get rid of all that. So no more problem. <laughs> but for me, it's more like, okay, I have a, a cavity in my, my tooth. So it's like, okay, I will remove my tooth and no more problem. Yeah, but no more tooth either. No. <laughs> so maybe I can fix the cavity and, and remain with my tooth. You know? So that's our idea. Now there is a place for healthy pers person personhood, no? So and so on. And there's again there's the prospect of being a person for eternity. But we as we were talking, we need to clarify so much how that idea of eternal personhood is not a problem. Because most of us have so much ingrained this fear of or, or this limited experience of being a person is so problematic that if someone say you can be a person for eternity, as you were asking the other day, we'll be terrified. A person for eternity? Oh no, thank you. Suffering for eternity? Oh no, thank you. So we may need to spend 97% uh, of our time clarifying <laughs> how all those things are not what we think they are, basically. You know, like kind of deconstructing all the biases that we still have and that we generally, through which we filter uh, revelation. So anyhow, Lalita is a very, is a person and it's not a problem for her to be a person. It's not a problem for us that she is a person. <laughs> uh, it might be a problem for Krishna sometimes. <laughs> 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 or for Radha, but a problem in the context of Lila. So it's not a problem at the end of the day. No? Again, part of the of the elements of the divine drama is problem. <laughs> That's it. Obstacle. Obstacle. Yeah. Obstacles are there to nourish harmony, in the words of Sila Siddharmara. So so that's the beauty of Lila, that all the things that we think are a problem, no? all of them exist in Lila, but they are not a problem. All of them are facilitators instead of obstacles. So, so the very notion of Lila is inviting us to re recalibrate the whole way we see everything, basically. And we can start to apply that whole new vision to how we see reality here. It's not that we have to wait to be in Lila to see obstacles as facilitators. We can start, we should start now. Or we can get help from the Lila. You go, you see Lila, the dynamic, the eternal day of Krishna. You see, wow, so many obstacles on a daily basis. And all of those obstacles are nourishing so much the experience. So why don't why not try that here? Why not address my obstacles on a daily basis as facilitators? And of course, that's the idea. So in that sense, the Lila is reflecting back how we can live our life 
as as in line as we can with how the Lila is operating. And that's the only way you can enter in Lila eventually. You, as we said the other day, you can only participate in Lila by somehow getting closer and closer to that Lila in how you live your life here. <laughs> so anyhow, I was mentioning the importance of when we say Lalita, or when we speak about these personalities, we have to learn to speak about them in a way that is relatable to us, that we don't see them as foreign people, weird ones somewhere else that I have nothing to do with. Because at least in our tradition, our goal is to coexist with them for eternity. So we need to gradually develop some healthy familiarity and, and to make their existence relevant, relatable hmm, to us. They are not just mythical, theological figures, again, so to say. So <clears throat> regarding Lalita Devi in particular, a few words, and I, I want to invite Krishna Chandra one all of you, if you have questions or things you may like to, to add to the equation. I mean, I'm just now, I mean, I haven't said anything specifically about Lalita team now, just <laughs> trying to prepare to build the ground, which sometimes is important, more important. So Lalita Devi, she is very interesting character. You will find she has a very unique psychology, so to say, a very interesting role in the daily dynamics of the Lila from different places. I will concentrate on one of her aspects because again there are each of these personalities as each of us have the potential to be so rich in so many ways it's not that each of you are a person in only one single way but multifaceted so the same way these eternal personalities have an ending uh, shades of their personality but i like to concentrate on one that externally maybe may seem like this shouldn't be happening or something like that <laughs> why this is taking place in in heaven so to say in the spiritual world and it has to do with lalita's role of uh yeah we can call it that you can translate to them what do you mean by progalva naika what's what does it mean in Shimati Radharani hat unendliche Stimmungen der Liebe in ihrem Herzen und manchmal kann sie die wie nicht ausdrücken und so erweitert sie sich tatsächlich in diese Gopis, in diese Yuteshwaris, speziell diese acht Hauptgopis. Und es gibt eine Stimmung, Pragalva. Das heißt, sie unterrichtet, sie ist ein bisschen wie diejenige, die die Zügel in der Hand hält und selbst Radha und Krishna fürchten sie manchmal. In English now. So not, Krishna, everyone, not everyone speaks German. Yeah, so that Radha has unlimited moods in her heart somehow to satisfy him and she cannot contain it even in her own form so she expands mostly as the eight as the sakis that are moods and 
in Lalita is this mood of Pragalba very prominent. <coughs> and it means like holding the reins mm. together, a little a controller aspect. And sometimes in a very intense mood. And sometimes even Radha and Krishna are a little fearful of her. Our Gurudev said, some that fierce, she's fierce. And some persons, they wanted to, you know, for this intensity and they pray to Ugraneshingadev. And he said, you think Ugraneshingadev is intense, but Lalita <laughs> is much more. Go to her. <laughs> okay, so I appreciate that Krishna Chandra sure the concept of Pragalva because I want to share with you one verse from Raghunadas Goswami's Brajavilastava, in which, of course, the word Pragalva is there. <laughs> Brajavilastava is a work by Raghunadas Goswami where he basically dedicates different verses to each one of the different members of the drama, so to say, each one of the members of the Leela, this retinue that accompany Krishna. Verses from Madhumangal, for Yashoda, for Lalita, for Vishaka, for Shirada, for Raktakvata, for the birds, for the trees, for, for the places. Yeah, for all this, all the stage, all the scenario that supports the drama, so to say. So there is one verse here that I would like to show. This is verse 29, for those who would like them to go deeper and meditate on that today from the Brajavilastava. We'll read briefly the Sanskrit and then translation and a few words <laughs> before concluding. Say Sandra Prima Rasai Pluta Priyataya Pragalbhyam Aptatayo Prana Prishtavayasya Yoranudinam Lila Visharam Kramai Baidak Jena Tata Sakim Pratisada Manasya Sikhsham Rasair Yeyam Karayati Hanta Lalita Greenatusamanganai. So Sri Dasko Swami says, May Lalita, who is immersed in the mellow of deep love, who take shelter of an audacious mood, simply out of love, who assists in accomplishing her heart's beloved Sri Sri Radha Krishna's pastimes, like their avisar or love journey, and who always cleverly teaches her own girlfriend, girlfriend Radha the art of loving kick you pronounce in English? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Man. May she accept me within her own party. So this is the prayer of Sri Raghunadas Goswami, in which, of course, all these verses are prayers that he presents to each of these entities while describing their main features, praying for their mercy and shelter. Even... Das ist ein Vers von Raghunathas Goswami, wo aus dem Brajavilastava, das ist so ein wunderbares Werk, wo er ähm, hunderte von Persönlichkeiten vorstellt, zu denen du als Seele im ewigen Vrindavan in Beziehung stehst. 
um dich so langsam in Beziehung zu setzen. Und das ist dieser wunderbare Vers, wo er Zuflucht nennt bei Lalita Devi. Oder möge sie mich auch unterrichten, möge sie mich aufnehmen in ihrer Gruppe. So here. Audacious, audacious, which will be the translation for Pragalva in this case. You understand the word? Yeah, yeah, I know the word. Audacious. Maybe um, just look for the German word. Yeah, I cannot help you with that. <laughs> Can tell in Spanish. So, so this mood of Bishaka is Pragalva, no? audacious heroine sometimes. Again, it's only with the purpose of increasing the pleasure of Radha and Krishna. Although externally will take the form of her chastising both of them in their own way with intense words sometimes. I won't repeat some of the words she's saying, but they are too intense. No. <laughs> but all that's in the context of service exclu exclusively. So again, the point is externally seems the opposite. But only a few have the capacity of doing such a thing as service. Like, so, so one of these examples, as Raghunadas Goswami is mentioning, is with Radha's peak. Peak? You know how to translate that in German? Yeah. This is not, not to use only, yeah, not to limit myself to the Sanskrit case. All that? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> in Sanskrit, that's called man. <laughs> so that means when there is some. But Radha is a little bit angry with Krishna, and because Krishna did that to deserve that, and he does lots of things to deserve Radha's man, that's part of the loving exchange. And as we mentioned, sometimes Radha and Krishna are in separation, and they reach a point when they are dying and they need to be together. Sometimes they are in separation, but there's not yet the moment for them to get together. The separation needs to grow stronger. So one of the aspects for this to happen is Lalita's uh, Pragalba, her mood as audacious, like, for example, teaching Sri Radha, you are not angry enough with Krishna. So he did some mischief, some mischievous thing. Okay, you're angry with him, but you are too quick in forgiving him. And he already wants to come with you. He wants to enter the kunj. But no, you have to be more intense. Increase your man. Increase your crookedness also, so to say. And Sri Radha, as Krishna Chandra Prabhu mentioned, she will be afraid of Lalita. <laughs> She's so intense that she will be submissive to her. In this it is say that one of her names is Lalita Bhitti Manini, which basically means one of the names of Radha, which, which is basically she who is uh, needs Lalita's permission to break her man. Hmm? So she cannot give, Radha cannot give up her man, her anger toward Krishna, unless Lalita gives blessings. 
So again, this is the dynamic of the Lila. Try to remember all that I said the first hour here. If all of the things are too new or complicated, so all the things are all these ingredients and personalities and emotions and moments are necessary to to reach the whole experience to a new level of what we call rasa. So, so in this sense, sometimes the chairs will say that this man of Sri Radha that is induced by Lalita is Lalita's greatest contribution no? <laughs> to the service of Krishna. Because externally it may seem that Lalita is saying to Krishna, to Radha, sorry, you don't you don't owe, you don't give up your man so easily to that rascal, no? That black snake, playboy. She will start to insult Krishna from tip to toe. <laughs> and she will tell Radha, don't open yourself so easily to him. So it seems that she's completely against Krishna. But actually, by Lalita behaving in that way, that's the greatest service you can do for Krishna. Why? Because Krishna derives the greatest form of pleasure in trying to appease Radha's man. It is said in some sections of the scripture to say that Krishna derives more pleasure in trying to appease Radha than the pleasure he derives in direct union with her. And, and, and Lalita is making that even more difficult for him, more challenging for him. So he, but he's up to the challenge, of course. No, he loves challenges. So he upgrades, so to say, his own experience by going through the upgrade man of Sri Radha induced by, by Lalita, basically. But all this again is in the context of what Rupa Goswami will call Anukul Seva. That's one of the main aspects of bhakti for us. Which means, one, among all these different main qualities of bhakti, you have to offer bhakti in anukul way. Anukul means in a favorable way. Which means not only doing, doing the things that Krishna likes, but doing them with intention of pleasing him. Even if he if it externally seems that it's not pleasurable to him, no? like Joshua is running after Krishna with stick in hand, that doesn't sound too pleasing to Krishna. But the mood, the, the mood is totally anukul. Similarly, Lalita is insulting Krishna in his face <laughs> and telling Lalita, telling Radha, don't go to him. So it seems totally practical, totally unfavorable. But her mood and intention is, she knows. She knows what's giving. She knows what's giving. Thank you. What Krishna needs. Again, everything is about how to attend to the needs of the divine couple. So Sri, Sri Lalita will enter into that mood to create more tension. And sometimes this, this expression is used, creative tension. I like a lot that expression creative tension because again we will think tension no, i don't like tension but there is a tension that is creative no? that creates a new whole layer of experience so in the lila this happens at every moment <laughs> but lalita could be basically the we could call her if you will the the acharya of creative tension <laughs> she's very expert in in creating all these moments of bigger tension and separation rad is angry she doesn't want to be angry but he, she has to because she's afraid of lalita and krishna will like to be with rad but he cannot because lalita is 
So that increases the separation more and more and more to the point that they can no longer tolerate being separated. And then, of course, Lalita knows when to allow Shirada, okay, you can break your man now. You can act, give Krishna access. <laughs> so that moment of access will be way more deep and ecstatic than if it will have been like in the first moment that Radha requested to Lalita. So, wenn man möchte Radha und Krishna zusammenkommen und so viel Sehnsucht ist da und jetzt kommt Lalita Devi und verhindert wie ihr Zusammenkommen. Und warum? Immer Anukul. Das ist alles förderlich für Radha und Krishna. Dass nachher das Zusammenkommen von ihm, von ihnen noch eine ganz andere eine Kraft hat. This is beautiful. So that should be a teaching for us where we are now. We are not in the Lila with Lalita and so on, but we should embrace the same principle as sadhakas, as practitioners. Creative tension, allowing life situation that we see as problems. Why don't see the problem as a moment of creativity? Like this uncomfortable situation is inviting me to be creative and to address the situation in a completely new way. Instead of labeling it as problem, I don't want it, obstacle, let's be in creative. Mm -hmm. And also this mood of fa fav favor favorability <laughs> of Sri Lalita, it's so important for us because again, externally it doesn't seem favorable, but the mood is there. So similarly, we should be willing to enter whatever situation is favorable to our service, as unfavorable as it may seem sometimes. Sometimes situations come and say, that's unfavorable. Not necessarily. <laughs> but we should discover the anukul side of everything. And we should be ready to offer anukul service, favorable service, in whatever form it takes. And sometimes Krishna will invite us to serve him in very unexpected ways, to put us in very unexpected situations. I can tell you that happens. <laughs> mm -hmm. To be in a situation where like, I never thought I will be here. No? And, and I never thought that, that, but from this new perspective, I, a new necessity of service arises and I'm being invited to be part of that. So, wow, I never thought about that, but Krishna, be thinking about that so that's it i have to offer myself to that so in this way lalita's mood is always favorable always taking care that radha and krishna are experiencing what they need to experience so to say always a similar pattern when she appears in gaur lila so let's go from krishna lila to gaur lila for a minute no? so lalita saki all there again difference of opinion <laughs> But generally, she's connected to Swarup Damodar in Gorlila. And Swarup Damodar, as we know, he's very close to Mahaprabhu, most close to Mahaprabhu. He will be basically Mahaprabhu's, so to say, personal kirtaniya. When we hear the descriptions in Nityanavadvip, it's Swarup Damodar, the one who daily sings different kirtans, and Mahaprabhu enters into Brajabab by hearing the Swarup Damodar's kirtan. Uh, yeah. 
Ja. In Gorlila ist diese gleiche Lalita erscheint als Varubdama da. Und es ist eine ähnliche Stimmung, manchmal ein bisschen Mahabro in Kontrolle zu halten, aber er ist wie der persönliche Kirtanier, wenn er dann Mahabro immer wieder singt, der Lieder und Mahabro vertieft sich und im ewigen Navadi ist singt Svarubdamodar Lieder über das ewige Vrindavan und Chaitanya Mahabro beginnt dann durchs Tor von diesem Kirtan beginnt er seine Meditation über das ewige Leben Vrindavan. And a very important function that Swarup Damodar had in the Lila, and you may know this, is that he will examine all the offerings that were brought to Mahaprabhu. Different devotees will present Mahaprabhu poetry, dramas, natakas, songs for his pleasure. But Swarup Damodar had to really check if that will be for his pleasure. <laughs> If that will create pleasure because the point is the the higher you 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 reach what gives you pleasure will be so unique so deep so specific that something that is not aligned with those considerations again rasa tattva the rules of the game that may create the great disturbance mahaprabhu is as i like to say and as i put in my book mahaprabhu is most vulnerable is God in his most vulnerable moment, in his most needy moment. Is Krishna having this deep need? I need to taste the heart of Radha. So he's completely needy, vulnerable, exposed emotionally, and uncertain about what's the, what will be the result of that experiment. That may end up in how Krishna will end up by entering into that, rolling up the ground and crying forever. <laughs> So Mahaprabhu is almighty, but also all vulnerable. That's the fullness of God. Not only almighty, all powerful, all vulnerable also. So when you are all vulnerable, you are very easily sensitive, very easily influenced by anything. So Swarup Damodar is honoring <clears throat> Mahaprabhu's vulnerability. So whatever offering comes to Mahaprabhu, Swarup Damodar will examine it first to see if that will fit Mahaprabhu's heart and mood and that will nourish his experience or it will disturb him terribly. So in the same way, he's been like the guardian of Mahaprabhu's heart, like the gatekeeper, if you will. Similar to what Lalita, in, in, in another way, Lalita is gatekeeper of assuring that Radha and Krishna experience what they need to experience. In the Gorlila, similar function takes place as sort of Dhamma, assuring that Mahaprabhu experiences what he has to experience. So again, it's a very inspiring uh, figure, personality, hopefully for us in our particular situation as practitioners, trying to gradually develop our relationship with the divine in that way, trying to, rem to be very careful about how to offer the most pleasurable, relishable, mm -hmm thing that may be required for the moment. How to identify with the necessity of service, so to say. Hmm? We will talk about that in Bhaktinath Thakur's maybe Abir Bhav when he said, I want to die in Kurukshetra. That's very much about identifying with what's required in the moment, right? <laughs> Anyhow, a few words we want to share today on Trilalita Devi. 
trying to, we are in the warming up for Sri Radhasthami tomorrow. So all this is somehow preparation for getting closer and closer to this zenith that will hopefully touch us tomorrow. I don't know if there are any questions, any comments, something Krishna Chanda others may like to share. There are a few hands raising. It starts there. We'll go there now. Um, I wanted to ask why um, some devotees have to show um, the songs to Lalita first, uh, to Swamidamodar first, because if Mahab, if um, the, if Lila is appreciating challenges, um, why does it have to be on the, the line that really, um, why does it have to be exactly the song that Mahaprabhu likes? Because if he wouldn't like it, it would be a challenge. And then he would have to be creative. So. <laughs> She's being pragal by asking yeah. that. <laughs> you reply to that question, Krishna Chanda. Now I'm pragal sure. toward you. Yeah. Okay. You can be. Yeah. I think Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's main challenge, which he's completely ready to, is to enter Shimati Radhika's moods and trying to. To relish that but this means he's making his heart extremely open so and it's the greatest challenge for him but Swarup Damodar is just checking at that moment if this is a long adventure in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's form you know it started taking diksha because i want to relish what this radharani is experiencing he took diksha then he took sannyas just to enter the shoes like you said before uh, the shoes of shimati radhika because whenever radharani went to meet krishna she actually looked, took like sannyas there was never ever a looking back it's just whatever will be the consequences this is called sannyas. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu entered in that. Then he traveled all over and he met many of the intimate servants of Shimati Radharani and he got instructed by them because he wanted to know more. And now he's in Jagannapuri and he <coughs> really, really wants to accept the greatest challenge. But Lalita is just checking if someone will now bring something, a song or something, which is completely, you know, something against that mood. It will be just a pain and will, you know, it's a disturbance in his real challenge. So this means, you know, just to go with the flow of his mood. But this is the biggest thing. So, and I think even if someone wants to absorb in Harinam, in this world. This is the biggest challenge. So he will also be careful. He doesn't say, so now I listen to pop music because I need an additional challenge. This is just a useless challenge. This is something which I would say, no, no, no. And this is what Swabhaktamadar is helping. You know, there's, in Chaitanya Charitama, there's mentioned one person 
he brought a beautiful prayer to Allah Jagannath, saying, oh, the body and Jagannath, and, but his soul is like this. And this would create extreme pain in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu or any Bhakta, because he is Advaita. Here we have a difference between body and soul. But now in God, this is completely not there. It's a oneness. His body is his soul. You know, and this is like, it will be unnecessary pain, especially when you're extremely open. And I, I really feel if a person is like entering in a shell to do the holy name, he has to make himself vulnerable, extremely vulnerable. So he has to be a little more careful because this is the main challenge to take complete shelter. But then he will just be a little careful. He doesn't go any place and he will not listen anything. So he will be much, much more careful than ever before to accept the real challenge. Maybe you would add something? No. Bravo. <laughs> no, I totally agree. Perfect. Is that clear? Yes. For me, it's, it was beautiful. The point of Mahaprabhu already has enough challenge in, in, <laughs> in tasting Radhabab. So it's not that we need to just keep adding challenges, but serving. I mean, his, the challenge he has creates challenges for other ones as a service opportunity. So they take those challenges, like Swarup Damar taking the challenge to go through that. It's not needed. We throw all the challenges to Mahaprabhu himself. So he has enough challenge with tasting Radha's heart. That's an eternal challenge. That's why we have it Nitya Navadip. He's still in the in the process of doing that. <laughs> so everyone else is assisting so he can uh, embrace his own challenge in the best possible way. They cannot do their child that challenge for him. He has to. So that's big enough. So each the rest take their own challenges as much as they can. Yeah. 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 In that way that he is making himself so vulnerable and that also means that we have to take on ourselves also that challenge that i present myself in a way that i can tune in of course and That's... otherwise if i just come with whatever is in me then I will not be able to tune in into the Leela. Yeah, that's why we need to be, that's a whole separate conversation. And I made a whole chapter in my book on vulnerability and empowerment. And how the more real empowerment only comes from vulnerability. So Mahaprabhu is the most empowered face of God, but Srila Siddharth will call him golden volcano of divine love, erupting ecstatically at every moment so so powerful he's the most vulnerable so so we have to be also learn how to be vulnerable and, and i like to describe i mentioned that in my book like the term darshan generally dar by darshan we and i think also arjuna describes that in the book <laughs> uh, it's not so much about seeing by being seen it's not so much i will make Krishna an object of my sight, but I will make me an object of his unconditional glance. So I am presenting in front of you as vulnerable as I can, as naked as I can. That's actual darshan. I'm standing in front of the Lord as naked, as vulnerable, as honest, as transparent as I can, 
open to see that they are directing their unconditional glance to me and accepting that I'm being loved unconditionally by them. That's not so easy. <laughs> Sounds romantic, but that's not so easy to do. <laughs> to allow ourselves to be looked from that unconditional place in how we are now with all our messiness, with all the limitation and imperfection. And I mean, love despite of that. So that's, if I will say, a beginning of vulnerability gradually aligned with the ultimate vulnerability. Shanti, you have a question or something? You raised your yeah, hand. I was also you. irritated oh, well, by sorry? the same thing. Once again. That, that I was kurz noch auf Deutsch. Er hat gesagt, dass Chaitanya Mahaprabhu die höchst verletzliche Gestalt Gottes ist. Oder in, im höchsten Ausmaß. Und wie Verletzlichkeit und Ermächtigung tatsächlich zusammengehen. Wir denken, wir müssten Macht bekommen, um uns irgendwie zu sichern und abzugrenzen. Aber die heilige Ermächtigung beginnt, indem alle Schutzpanzer vor Gott abzulegen und aus dem heraus tiefste Ermächtigung entsteht. So und das heißt, Verletzlichkeit heißt nicht das, was die Menschen sonst unter dem verstehen. Oh, ich bin ein bisschen Gott, dünne Haut oder so. Sondern es heißt Verletzlichkeit vor Gott. Also ich werde nie wieder ihm etwas vorweisen möchten und weiß, dass eine bedingungslose Liebe mich trifft. Und aus dem heraus kommt eine enorme Ermächtigung. Er hat gesagt, Darshan ist nicht, ich sehe ihn, sondern ich weiß, ich bin von ihm gesehen. Und dann aus dem heraus kann ich alle Schutzpanzer abbauen, alle Vorgaben und alles präsentieren, ablegen. Oder weil ich weiß, das erste Mal ist hier ein Blick der das nicht braucht, die Schwäche für sich, sondern der sie zu, aus dieser Schwäche mich zu sich hinruft. So Shanti? Yeah, it was the similar issue that I was irritated why it sounded like being vulnerable was a problem for Mahaprabhu, but I think I will read that chapter. Vulnerability is not a problem. Yeah, I mean, it oh, just oh, oh. sounded like, oh, because it, it sounded to me, but now in the context of what's been mm -hmm. discussed, I mm -hmm. can't okay. understand because I also, yeah, for our spiritual path, it's, it's actually helpful to be vulnerable, to be yeah. naked. And so I thought, it, why would it be a problem for God to be vulnerable? No, 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 it's not a problem. It's yeah, the great, I, it brings all this empowerment. It's the greatest blessing. Yeah. yeah. But we should know... I will just mention this for us to be winner. If we want to be vulnerable, we need, we need, I mean, we are, we are vulnerable in nature. It's not that we have, I, I will do vulnerability now. We are vulnerable, but we have to choose to acknowledge that fact. <laughs> uh, and to express that, that has to be done with people that will know how to deal with our vulnerability. And not ex exploit. Exactly. Because 
vulnerable if you express vulnerability to the wrong person that will end up in abuse problem and not because the other person is bad maybe but just because they don't know what to do with your vulnerability they are not expert in dealing with that side of you so they may have good intention but they end up traumatizing you so it's very important to to know where to open our hearts fully even if it's only one person we know in our whole life that we can do that that's more than enough that's okay <laughs> we shouldn't expect with everyone like i will just be naked in instagram so to say you know in terms of vulnerability i will reveal my mind to facebook and see what everyone comments that may not be the most empowering experience for us <laughs> because many people will not know how to deal with what we are saying so so yeah as, as i mentioned in my book vulnerability without boundaries is not vulnerability no? so it has to express with certain boundaries and certain perimeter and certain people Oh, she didn't understand why is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu vulnerable and why is, does he has to be protected by Swarup Damodar <laughs> from his vulnerability <laughs> or in, in that mood? Yeah. And what, why is Mahaprabhu vulnerable? Okay. I like to read something from my book, but it, I will say it now without reading that connection. We can, we can, first of all, what's vulnerability? Generally, at least from the work of one expert researcher on vulnerability, she describes vulnerability with three, three things. Emotional exposure, risk, uncertainty 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 every time you are in connection to that vulnerability again that's not bad but you are vulnerable clearly vulnerable no? emotional exposure risk uncertainty so mahaprabhu's vulnerability has to do with this the all all of these three emotional exposure he's exposing himself to the emotions of Sri Radha. <laughs> That's pretty intense. That's pretty vulnerable. It's emotional. He's opening his heart to being affected but by her heart. Second, risk. risk. I mean, that's risky. That's why it says by our trust with Krishna in a moment in eternity, say, I will taste Radha's heart. She immediately provided him with her own luster and covered him because she knew this is a risky experiment. You will end up rolling on the ground. You don't know what you are asking for. <laughs> you will be hitting yourself on the on the walls and rolling on the... That's risky. You don't know how intense it is. And uncertainty, again, in relation to this, like what will happen if Krishna tastes, ventures himself into Radha's heart? It's uncertain. We cannot say will happen like this and like this. It's a constant festival of uncertainty. <laughs> so these three things that made up vulnerability, emotional exposure, risk, and uncertainty, all of them are in Mahaprabhu tasting. So he needs 
to be protected by Surup Damodar, not in the sense of he needs to be taken out from that place. But again, he's in a very like exposed condition. No? So he needs to be accompanied, supported. No? It is described every day in the Gambira, Mahaprabhu will receive the support of Swarup Damodara Ramananda Roy. They will come and nourish what he was feeling with songs and verses. They will be empathic with him, accompany him, nourish his heart. I mean, he, we will talk about that a little bit more also when we will be talking on Gadadhar Pandit in a few days. But it's not that Mahaprabhu himself did it all by himself. That's my point. He needed Swarup, he needed Ramananda, he needed Gadadhar. And Gadadhar is the main figure. Without Gadadhar Pandit, Gorlila is a failure. <laughs> Impossible. Impossible. Because Gadadhar is rather giving her own heart, allowing Krishna to taste her experience. And the more Mahaprabhu tasted Radha's heart, the more Radha's Gadadhar disappears from the Lila, disappears, disappears, disappears into total Gopinath. At the very end, Mahaprabhu is relishing the glory of Radha Bhav. And Gadadhar, nobody sees Gadadhar. Totally disappeared, totally self, full abnegation, self-forgetfulness and love. So, But my point is all these crucial figures are required for the success of Mahaprabhu, the success of Gaur Lila. <laughs> So, yeah. So Swarup Damodar is also required in his particular role. Okay. I have one more question, if possible. Yeah, sure. Always possible. And, and also in case some others have questions today in the evening, we'll have Q&A, questions and answers. So in, in case something else comes in the evening, we can continue. But let's conclude with Arjuna, yeah. yeah because we were talking about uh, needs, right? So. Um, my question pertains to the relative, the difference between relative and absolute need. So, mm -hmm. you could say maybe that the, the need of the soul is purely to assist uh, and to serve in, in, in Radha Krishna's needs. But there is also a type of um, relative need in our conditioned state like this famous muscle of pyramids, right? We first need, in order to appreciate even thinking about higher things, we need basic needs to be present. Mm -hmm. it's not, if a baby is born, you don't say, okay, it's all illusory, here you have a japa mala in the forest. <laughs> I'm not that type of sannyasi. <laughs> Just clarifying for those who are planning to have babies and so on. It's okay. <laughs> But I mean to say that there, um, um, there's first like this so-called very relative need. You need some, some safety, you need some some food, people need to be kind to you. So you, mm -hmm. on a psychological level, you grow up yeah. quite healthy. Yeah. And after that, you are kind of like concerning yourself with, hey, but what is my... So how, how do you harmonize those? together when mm. when how how are they related to yeah. each other and how do we prevent not to be too much preoccupied with the relative needs and at the same time also not neglect them so you're only concerned with uh, mm -hmm. um, with the absolute need while there may be still be yeah 
traumatic experiences yeah. from not having yeah. fulfilled. And you may you're using the higher lila to be evasive of what you need to unresolve trauma. Yeah. Well, that's a great question, and that requires. I mean, half of my book is about that, just in case. <laughs> I'm not promoting my book. I'm just kind of avoid thinking, oh, and beautiful that the questions come in things that are concerning for me. But in brief words, I will say that there shouldn't be a clash in these needs. Uh, I, I totally agree that most of us need to have certain things in place for us to be focused in our practice. I mean, if you don't know where you will sleep, tonight or what if there will be food or not going to Maslow's hierarchy of needs probably you cannot just absorb yourself and someone say well but Raghunadas but we are not Raghunadas <clears throat> we are to follow the footsteps which is not the same as imitating no anukar anusar this is not the same so in my book I personally emphasize a lot that we need to be very much balanced as human beings and we need to integrate our humanity with our spirituality because our ultimate goal as Kodiya Vaishnavs is to be fully human and fully divine. The goal is Nara Lila. Nara Lila, there is humanity there also. So there is humanity there. So we cannot get rid of our humanity here and reach a place that is fully human in its own way and fully divine at the same time. So we as sadhakas can deal with our human needs as part of our bhakti project. I need to be a, hum a balanced human being so I can dedicate myself to service in the best way. So for that to happen, I need to have some financial balance, some emotional uh, stability. So from that platform of sattva, if you want to call it basically like that, which many acharyas have say, sattva is an ideal, like how do you say where the plane is living, the platform? How do you call it? The launching. The launching? So sure. Satwa will be like the ideal launching platform toward transcendence. Because if not, as Arjuna mentioned, we may, um, even unconsciously, but we may um, relate to spiritual ideals or terms or practices as an evasive device. So we don't address unresolved trauma, things that we need to integrate in our humanity. We are too transcendental, but in our transcendence, we are being totally evasive. And in time, it becomes unsustainable. And it becomes so dysfunctional because you are talking about, I don't know, Ashtakalia, Lila, and the higher things, but in a daily basis, you, re you relate to each other in a clear way that you need probably therapy or something. <laughs> so I personally, at least personally, I'm very much into... Uh, do not neglect your humanity. Do not neglect your needs as a, as a human. If you need, I don't know, again, to eat, to sleep, that's not a sin. No? Because sometimes I've seen the boats that think all that, like I'm losing my time. No? So I have to go to sleep, oh, time lost. No? No, I have to sleep. I have to reach the point where I only sleep one hour per day as it was time did. If not, um, and they develop this kind of world-denying mentality. And, and I mean, I've tried to reduce my sleeping, but I, I reach a point when I know if I do not sleep this time, I'm not functional during the day. I have to be practical. 
there are not only pro we are not only to be how to say we have productive moments but also we need restorative moments <laughs> it's not only about like generating and giving and we have also and restoration is part of our seva it's not separate I remember your, your Guru Maharaj once say to to Srila Bodhaya and Maharaj, like, because Srila Bodhaya and Maharaj once organized a secret celebration of Vyasa Puja for your Gurudev, I was told. And your Gurudev was somehow chastising him lovingly that you are doing this independent from, from me. And then he said, but if your Guru tells you go to sleep and you obey, you will advance way more by going to sleep, by, by doing something in disobedience. No? So he gave the example of sleeping, so to say. No? So that makes me think like that. The guru should say, okay, I want my disciples to be balanced human beings. No? Like, like, yeah, for me it's common sense, but sometimes common sense is not so common. <laughs> I, call, I call it uncommon sense, generally. You know? So for me that, that should be in place, no? I'm a sadhaka. I may have psychological, emotional, financial needs, whatever. And there is a way to engage all these needs as an aspect of my sadhaka journey, as taking care of my sadhaka deha, my body of a sadhaka. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that creates the necessary balance and foundation and gradually from that integrated humanity I can look at the humanity in the lila in a more realistic way and not just run to the lila escaping from my unresolved humanity. But having resolved my humanity, I'm not going to Krishna with all my unresolved stuff. <laughs> but having resolved everything, I can concern more directly about his needs, so to say. <laughs> so for me, yeah. Look what Jiva Goswami calls Sangha Siddha Bhakti. He says, there are activities which are bhakti in nature, swarup siddha bhakti, like kirtan, bhagavat sravam, sadhu sangha. And there are activities which are not bhakti in nature, like we gave the example in France of peeling potatoes. <laughs> and would I um, say peeling tomatoes in the translation? <laughs> yeah, it can be both of them. Peeling potatoes, peeling tomatoes is not bhakti inherently, but you can peel potatoes. In the as bhakti, you follow. So something that is not bhakti can be can become bhakti if it's done, integrated, aligned with this ultimate ideal. So the same is again being balanced emotionally, psychologically. That's not bhakti, but it can be bhakti if we have proper sambandha gyan, proper orientation, and of course with sincerity and good guidance, as you mentioned, Arjun, we should be careful of not going to any of the two extremes. Like I became over concerned, everything is about now emotional balance, and that's the prayogen now. <laughs> a new prayogen came, a new goal of life now. But also not the other extreme. No? Uh, that's Maya, that's relative, that's mundane. Let's just concern with the Leela. How, how much capacity do we have to do that? And I've seen many examples of that, of people talking about so many high things, but on a daily basis, they don't know how to talk to each other. They don't know how to listen empathically, how to be compassionate, how to... So that's so much rasa bas, you know? <laughs> such an improper mixture. That's so 
create so much vivatsa, so much like this gas. This is very unbecoming. And we can fall into that very easily because we especially, Gaudiya Vaishnava, has such a high theology, such a detailed description of transcendence that we can use all that to escape everything else. <laughs> we can become experts in, in knowing about that, talking about that, mentally being concerned about that somehow intellectually, but on a more human grounding level, we are completely like disjointed, so to say. And in time, that's not sustainable. And we want to be practicing for eternity, not just for a few years, a week. And I've seen many devotees like very strict or very whatever. And in time, like, where is he? Where is she? Oh, what happened? No, <laughs> because there was some evasiveness, some spiritual bypassing, as they call it nowadays, that is not addressed. That's an arthanibriti also. An arthanibriti doesn't mean only. Chant your rounds and you will get rid of lust. Anthony <laughs> Britti means be introspective in Jung's word, be do shadow work, <laughs> confront your shadow, address all these issues that you don't want to look at, that you unconsciously are putting below the carpet. Uh, no, be brave enough to confront that and with proper guidance, of course. Um, and see all that as part of the Bhakti project. Again, this is not something separate. No? We don't need to create this dichotomy of, I have my spiritual life and I have my material life. If you want to think like that, that's your choice and that's your problem. <laughs> but everything can be made part of the same spiritual project. So we need to be able to integrate. So even if you're having a baby, that's part of your bhakti project. There is a way of saying that. Even if you have, and I'm going far here, but this point, even you have, if you have sexual relationships in the context of culturing proper intimacy and human connection, that can be made part of your bhakti project. And that's a sannyasi telling you that. <laughs> that was confirmed. That was the alarm of someone else's mother. Oh, my goodness. Maybe we can talk about later today because that requires. I don't want like to summarize too much for the sake of brevity because there are topics that require their unfolding. So maybe if you you can today in the evening you can present the question and we can talk about. I don't know. I made once one class. Can sex be bhakti? That was one of the most seen classes I've made. <laughs> But at the same time, it's important to talk about things that in, sometimes are taboo in, in, in certain. I don't know. I feel uncomfortable. No, you cannot talk. Why we cannot talk about that? We, we should be able to talk about anything with honesty and, and not in a crazy way, of course, no, in a proper way. But if the approach is proper, we we should be able to talk about anything. <laughs> so if you agree, we can talk today later about that and whatever else you may like to talk. So we also keep the topic in, inside the theme of today's celebration, so to say, yeah, yeah. So thank you so much for your time, your attention, your patience, your translation.
श्री माती ललिता देवी की जय आविर्भाव महोत्सव तीर्थ श्री ललिता साख्य की जय श्री सचिनंद गोड़हरी की जय श्री हरि नाम प्रभु की जय श्री श्री राधा गोविंद जी की जय गौर भक्त वृंद की जय गौर प्रेमानंद हरि अनंत को की जाए बहुत ही बहुत